This is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. Before we get started, we'd like to welcome our new sponsor, Venture Leather, which makes quality but affordable handmade leather goods with a purpose. Do you want to look great, but also know what you buy is making a positive impact on the world? Venture Leather works with small-scale herders and artisans in both Uganda and India to make the highest quality products while providing jobs in impoverished communities. Not only is Venture Leather intentional about its supply chain, but 100% of the profit from every purchase is invested back into these communities. Every purchase from Venture Leather helps to create small venture capital fund for aspiring entrepreneurs around the world. Hence the name Venture Leather. So go to VentureLeather.com and use the code David, my name, for 15% off your order and start making a difference today. Venture Leather helping you make a difference in the world. Uh, this is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. Today we have Naomi Schachter. Hello. From the National Library of Israel. Uh, yeah. It's funny, I went to hear you speak, Naomi, on Sunday. Right. And you said the perfect thing right up front. I did? Yeah. What did I say? You said that you are the best kept secret in Israel. Right, right. You have no idea. We get hundreds of organizations over the years that come in from Israel. And everybody's got a great story. And here you are with this amazing story. And we've never heard about the National Library of Israel. How come? Well, because it's a relatively new idea. We're in what we call the renewal of the National Library of Israel. And because you used to be associated we with We were university. the Jewish National and University Library. In fact, I met with someone here this week in LA who had worked at the Jewish National and University Library. He had done his doctorate there. And the whole time while we were speaking, he kept calling it the Jewish National and University Library. And I was very forgiving, of course. But toward the end, I did start to correct him. It's the National Library of Israel. And we became the National Library of Israel with passage of the law in 2007, where the Knesset, the Israeli parliament, gave us the mission to be officially the National Library of Israel, uh, such as your Library of Congress. But it's a little different. It's a little different because unlike the Library of Congress or the British National Library or the French National Library, we have a dual mission. We're the National Library of Israel for all of Israel's communities, and we are also the Library of the Jewish people worldwide. And that sounds grandiose, but it's true. We are committed to being the collective memory of the history of the Jewish people how does it worldwide. Differ, how does it differ than the museum in Tel Aviv, Betat Futsot? Well, Betat Futsot is the diaspora museum, and that tells the story of specifically of diaspora and the different countries. So, of course, there's some overlap in terms of the kind of manuscripts or books that are told within the collection that the library houses. But um, our focus is on the intellectual, cultural, social, historical heritage as captured 
through archives, through documents, through manuscripts, through books. And they come from all over the world. Of course, as the National Library of Israel, we also officially get two copies of every book published within Israel automatically by law must be deposited at the library. Uh, but Beit HaTfutzot is specifically about the story of the diaspora. We're not just the story of the diaspora. We're, we're the story of the intellectual and cultural history of the Jewish people, but also of Israel. So we also leave diaspora behind mm. with a focus on Israel. Right. They, they happen in parallel, if okay. you will. So the big coming out party for the your library was what, 2007? When no, was... well, we didn't have a coming out party in the sense that, um, well, I guess a party of sorts, that's a nice way to look at it, was this passage of this legislation. But until then, we were part of Hebrew University. We are known as Israel's leading research library in the area of humanities, less of a focus on sciences. We have a beautiful uh, reading room, the Edelstein Room on the History of Science and Medicine, but that's not at the core. The core is the humanities. We have four collections, Judaica, which is the largest collection of Judaica ever amassed anywhere in the world, the Israel Collection, which is wonderful archival material, photographs, um, history of song. In fact, our curator of uh, the Israel Collection, Chezi Amur, he has a weekly radio uh, spot that is super popular where he talks about a Hebrew song. They take a Hebrew song, usually that has either, I, sometimes it can be random, sometimes it can be connected to the calendar. If it's Tu B'Shvat, it'll be, you know, a Tu B'Shvat song, um, and gives a brief history of it. We have a huge amount of knowledge about the history of music. We ha house the largest collection of Israeli and Jewish music in the world. An incredible archive. So it strikes me that you're so much more than a library because, you know, I'm in the world of words and branding and, you know, every word suggests things. And when people use hear the word library, it sort of feels like back in the old days, a place where you go and it's just books. You're so much more than books. So much more than books. Right? But, but. Let's not minimize the books. We're the we people love, of the books. We're the I people love of the books book. myself. We're the people of the book. We love the books, but we're a lot more than books. Yeah, it seems to um, me you're think, a cultural library. Well, we we're a cultural institution now. Mm -hmm. So that's part of, of this your shift. Mm -hmm. It's part of this renewal of moving from being just an academic and research library. And I, I, I do want to qualify that word just because we are committed to maintaining our qualitative edge as the lead research library in Israel. And by the way, it's a very popular destination for internationals for from around the world who right. come to see uh, the Hebrew manuscripts to pour over the archival material and just to use the books. Including Arab and Muslim full. scholars, yes, correct? Yes, Arab and Muslim scholars. Uh, interestingly, because, uh, oh, you know, we didn't, I, we got, I diverted when I was mentioning the four collections. Mm -hmm. And uh, after the Israel collection, I mentioned that, that uh, corner we have on the radio every week. 
Uh, I could say more about music, but I won't at the moment. Uh, the third collection is the Islam collection. So okay. that relates to your question. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing collection of uh, Islamic books, Arab books, uh, Palestinian press from the Ottoman and mandate periods that's being digitized in a project called Jurayad. Mm-hmm. And uh, the illuminated manuscripts, Quran from the ninth century. I mean, these things are amazing. So uh, scholars come to study the. We have a we have a reading room for the Islam and Middle East collection. School children come from East Jerusalem and elsewhere. Uh, Arab kids, because of the wealth and richness of this collection. Now, there are also Christians in Israel. Does that mean Many gonna... Christians in Israel. Well, I mean, many. It's no. a small percentage of the Arab population, but of course, Will Christians Will you incorporate come... some of that too? The well, the fourth collection after Islam is the humanities. And the humanities basically means filling in and complementing what I described earlier, Judaica, Israel, and Islam. And the humanities is Christianity, European history, classics, Greek and Roman history. Uh, I mentioned, I just showed you something of handwritten of Sir Isaac Newton. So there right. are, are 7,700 handwritten pages by right. Sir Isaac Newton. Since you brought up Sir Isaac Newton. into the humanities collection. Right. right. All right. This is uh, the great slogan. How long ago did he write this? Uh, well, 17th century. 17th, all right, four centuries ago. Come see, come listen. Right. Well, that was, he copied it. It's actually Aramaic, and he he copied it, Te Chaze Te Shema. Um, and he wrote, and he it, wrote in it in Hebrew. Yeah. So, so these are the four components of your institution. You have Judaica, Israel, Islam, and humanities. Those are the four collections. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't call them the components because the components in the context, let's say, of this renewal where you referenced the collections, yeah, they're components within the co- vast collection. But I would say the components are what we're doing with not just library services, making them better and better all the time. The cultural programs, the educational programs, the massive digitization underway, the seminars and conferences. In two weeks' time, we're going to have our global forum. The global forum is another objective within the renewal of the library of using the National Library of Israel as a platform for important world conversations. I hear that more and more, Naomi, uh, especially from people who run museums. And I keep hearing that they want to create centers of conversation and that we sort of need so desperately now because everybody's sort of on their digital screens and the conversations are happening on a virtual level. And the backlash to that is that we need real conversations. I need to go to a real space hearing real person in real time speak. So is that is that a big part of your future plans? I, I think you really said that beautifully. And yes, I think that, look, libraries, I know our library, the National Library of Israel, but I think libraries in general are very important meeting places, very important, very important venues for engagement 
and not just the virtual. We're making it all work virtually also. The digitization is really huge, and I could go on and on about the digitization projects, but it's so not just virtual. It was the it's place where I so dreamed. It's so physical. It's so real. Someone said to me who came from overseas, he's actually a Jewish studies professor at Colgate University. His name is Steve Kepnes. He's a wonderful scholar. And um, he spent this last summer in Israel, and he hung out at the National Library of Israel, and he just sort of fell in love with the place. He had not spent that much time there before, and it wasn't it wasn't just the sitting quietly in the reading room and feeling the intensity of the intellectual charge going on in that room. It was the hanging out at the cafeteria. It was talking to people outside. It's an awesome networking space for people to really talk. I got to tell you, you know, I grew up in Montreal. I was a little kid, didn't know a word of English. I was eight years old. And library was my house of dreams. In class, I was surrounded by people who knew English a lot better than I was. I didn't dream much in class, but it's when my mother would take me to libraries, and that's where I would dream. So for me, I was networking with the books, and I was discovering, you know, this new language and wow. this new world. And the Where was this? In Montreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll always be grateful for my mother. She never said no, and she would take me to this library all the time. And I remember just walking in and thinking that every book was a different world. And that's where I started dreaming, was in libraries, where, you know, I want to write one of those books. I want to learn more about this new world that I've entered, you know, just coming from Morocco. So I think there's a real emotional uh, aspect to coming into a room with thousands and thousands of books because each of these books is a whole different world. I don't think you can duplicate that anywhere, that feeling. I mean, even now when you go into a bookstore. Yeah. There's there's the magic, and then you are now the sort of the nerve center in Israel of capturing this part of our story, which is the books. Where people, I mean, not to sort of, um, you know, I don't show want off. I don't want to show off too much. Right. But, We're in Hollywood. Right. You're allowed a little bit. But I mean, people are talking about this as the most important cultural event of the Jewish world. There is, this renewal is not a small thing. Um, And, you know, on the tables between us is the book of the new building. The building is going to be incredible. It is going to be an architectural wow, extremely sexy, extremely well-conceived in terms of the need for multiple uses of the space, maintaining the quiet within the reading rooms while being able to have kids at the education center, while being able to, uh, you know, schmooze in the cafeteria and go look at exhibitions and listen to and participate in a performance in the cultural center. So it has to serve a lot of needs simultaneously. And uh, the architects, Herzog and Demeron, really, really worked for a long time in order to ensure that the integrity of the various spaces would be able to work together. 
Yeah, you know, everybody goes to see Yad Vashem. You know, anytime you go into a big city around the world, everybody's got like the top three. Right. And I'm pretty sure you're hoping to be in those top three. Oh, for sure. Visits. For sure. Because and we're located, I mean, we're, net, we're between, located right? right between the Knesset, the parliament building, and the Israel Museum. And it's really a prime location. Now, the, the Israel Museum sort of. They, it's a wonderful they hit institution. A home run. Why, oh. why do you think they? Uh, I just, I think the the way they design things is beautiful. Beautiful. I think they bring wonderful exhibits. In fact, we are currently, as we speak, in the midst of a beautiful partnership that we did with the Israel Museum, uh, with parallel exhibits of Maimonides, the Rambam. Right. And this was accompanied by a three-day symposium at the National Library, an international symposium about Maimonides. And um, we really were exploring Maimonides from many perspectives. You know, I grew up, I went to a Jewish day school. For me, the Rambam was the guy on my Hebrew notebooks with the right. turban on his head, right? Like, Sephardic. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but... He was a great world thinker, and he was part of the Islamic medieval philosophical environment. He wrote in Aramaic. Yeah. Right. You know, I, I'm thinking of these four great buildings right there. You got the Knesset, Yad Vashem, you got the Israel Museum, and then you have the library. I think if I had to pick one that I would work at, I think it would be the library. Right. That's Just because it's a bigger canvas. I feel like... You can do a little bit of everything yeah. in your library. You can do. You can have a Yad Vashem moment and Israel Museum. Don't you agree? It's yes, like, I. I mean, I agree. I don't want to. Um, I mean, I think our the other right. institutions are all super important. Right, and but they're more specialized. And I'm not trying to. They're no, specialized. they're more specialized. It's not where you hang out. This is yeah. where you hang out. You know, I have kids, and I'll bump into. I, I mentioned one of my sons earlier, Micha. And his friends are, he just For finished. For a shidduch, right? Right, right. <laughs> um, and his, uh, I bumped into a friend of his last week in the library, and I was like, hi, what are you doing here? He said, I like to sit here. I'm studying for my psychometry. That's like your SATs kind of exams, but you do it in different timing in Israel. And he said, I just like to sit here. This is where I like to study for my exams. And I find that all the time. I see friends, I like to sit here. I like to be here. My husband, who's an academic, his name is Jonathan Price, he said that he just, when he walks through the doors of that library, it's the library where he hangs out when he needs a library, um, he said just a, a feeling of of peace and tranquility and, and inspiration washes over him. You know, uh, I've spoken recently to some donors, and they want to create a place like that in L.A., not necessarily a library, but place where kids can hang out, mm -hmm. hang out on a Saturday night and just like a cultural right. center, just hang out. Because there are certain conversations you have when you bump into someone. They're different conversations. They're not important enough to make a call and have a meeting or have a separate, but they're, whether you call it the neighborhood, when you bump into friends and neighbors, it can even be at a market. So what you're talking about is having a little bit of that hanging out atmosphere where you go and you're expecting that you might bump into a friend yeah. and those conversations are going to be different right it's yeah. true i mean I, I i think the hanging out is one piece of it 
I think it's one piece of it. There's no question that people want to be with other people. They want to be with other people. Um, and they want to interact. But they also are coming now. You know, I mentioned the cultural events. Uh, tomorrow is International Women's Day. So everything we do, all our cultural events are built around our collection. So I was really happy to see an article in the Jerusalem Post that I caught this morning about the library. It was, you know, it comes into my feed uh, when, when the library is referenced, uh, which it is more and more often, which is very nice to see. Um, and the writer compared this event of women archivists and scholars. It's going to be a whole symposium evening tomorrow. She said it's like getting an incredible box of chocolates and you don't even know what to go to first, that it's going to be so rich. And people, more and more people are coming to the library for these cultural events to connect. It, 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 it's more than just going to a concert. Right. We had a moment at the Maimonides Conference that I had chills. I really had chills there. Um, we had evening events during this three-day symposium I mentioned earlier. There's a fa Oh, she's Moroccan. Mm. She comes, Netta El-Kayam. Do you know who Netta El-Kayam is? No, I think you brought her up on Sunday. Yeah, she's yeah. actually going to be at this women's event okay. tomorrow. So Netta El-Kayam uh, is a singer. Her family is from Morocco. She grew up in a development town in southern Israel. And she started to reconnect very extensively with her Moroccan roots and traveled there. And in our music and sound archive, we do ethnomusicology, where we capture the, the music, the liturgy of communities, and especially of dying communities, so that they, we have them in their authentic form. And she was doing research around Moroccan music, and she discovered this really haunting, amazing song. And her performance was singing this song together with the original recording mm. of this Moroccan woman, probably her grandmother's age, singing this song that would be lost, but it's come back now because she's performing she's it. She's doing a duet. And she's doing a duet, but it's, she's there because she was able to, for free, it's all accessible, do her research. Is it up on the website now? It is. It's up. It's on the website. It's all digitized. Not all the music. Pretty much this everything one, this one is, is accessible so I, from your home. I can't answer for certain that this song is accessible from your home. Well, uh, we're going to see if we can find it. library. We're going to see if we can find it, and we'll ask, uh, we'll ask our producer, Armando. Okay. To incorporate it. Okay. In this podcast. <laughs> okay. I'm I can't not, wait to hear it. I'm it not sounds. Sure, I can do that. Well, like we'll see if we can. Ten hours ahead and. No, Israel, not right now. Not right asleep. now. Yeah. That's why we do editing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're gonna do editing. Absolutely. Okay, That's how right. it works. All right. Uh, All right. That so there's so much going on there now. What happens while you're building this? This so new while building, we're building, where is we're everything still, happening? We're still located, as I mentioned, from. 1925, I might not have given the start date, when Hebrew University was established until 2007 when the legislation was passed for the National Library of Israel. 
we were part of Hebrew University. So you're still we, there right now? We are still located mm-hmm. on the Givat Ram campus of Hebrew University. And we love that building. It's a wonderful building. We've been there since 1960. We were originally on Harat Sophim, Mount Scopus. Mm-hmm. Uh, in what's now the law school. And then in 1948, there was no access to Mount Scopus. It was a no man's land. So all of Hebrew University had to essentially disperse uh, to various places, including the library. And uh, in the 50s, Hebrew University built the Givat Ram campus because they didn't know 1967 was going to happen and that there would again be access to Mount Scopus. So we are still living on the Givat Ram campus. It's a great building, and but it doesn't serve our purposes anymore. We've outgrown it. I mentioned the, you know, sort of multiple things going on simultaneously, mm-hmm. and that can be annoying to the readers in the reading rooms. You know, we've gotten some complaints. We actually have a committee of readers to make sure that we're staying as sensitive as we can as we undergo this renewal. I mean, an example is that 10, 12 years ago, there was a sign at the entrance to the library that children under 16 are not allowed. Mm. And now on any day of the week during the academic year, there are hundreds and hundreds of school children on any day and many, many thousands throughout the year. So it's a w- big change. When is this new building going to be ready? This new building will be ready in 2021, okay. uh, less than three years from now. We are projecting fall of 21. It's a process to move. You know, you don't just pack up the books in two days and head on over. You have to, it's a big, we're already planning for the move. Likely it will be, we'll move in in spring of 22. That's what Do you go visit? Oh. All the time. As much as I can. Luckily in my job, I have to bring visitors there sometimes. Uh It is beyond cool. Beyond. I've never been so attached to a construction site in my whole life. Well, that well, circle for, you have on the roof that yeah, brings in well, all the light. Yeah, well, now it's a hole in the ground, but it's right. already a hole moving up because the building is actually going to be six stories below ground and five stories above ground. And also at the construction site, what you see now is this crazy mountain of rocks. And a lot of people who pass by, you can see it over the fencing. And people who stop by say, what's with the rocks? And what's with the rocks, they're actually going to disappear soon because we're at the stage in the construction where we're putting them into what we call, what is called the rock store. And the rock store is a mechanism for thermal flow of air, for conservation of energy, for, for heating as needed and cooling as needed through this rock store. We are, this will be the largest rock store in the world. I think it's like the fourth in the world, but don't quote me on that. I'm not sure, but I know it's the largest. And it's all part of the very green, sustainable nature of the building. We are hoping to be LEED Platinum, which is the highest level of green building that one can do. Wow. Is there a Startup Nation component to your content? Is there a Startup Nation component? The idea sure. of all this totally. innovation totally. that is happening Our in Israel. technology is, I mean, we're even lending out 
our technology. The digitization, the tech department, it is extremely startup nation. As a matter of fact, I mentioned I wanted to say something else about music only because only because it's so in your lingo hot off the press. Uh, it's the new Hebrew music app called Shiri. S-H-I-R-I. We were number one in the Google Play Store. After a few days, we had over 100,000 downloads. Right now, it's only in Hebrew, the interface. There will be English down the road. I don't know how long down the road. But Israel's going crazy over it, as are people here. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing for Jewish day schools when they want to pipe in music. It's free and no advertising. And you can just put it on and it plays incredible music. You put in your favorite musicians, and it basically kind of curates music for you, and you can put in likes and not likes, and it kind of starts to understand, and it's super cool, very, very high-level technology. You know, you know, this is one of the crazy things about Israel because um, there's so much going on terms of culturally and spiritually and economically and so forth. And yet, you know, 90% of everything we hear is just connected to politics. So the Israel brand is, you know, the prime minister gets indicted, he associates with the Kahanis party, and, and that seems to dominate the image of, of Israel. Meanwhile, look at all this stuff that's going on. How do you feel about that? I wish more people could experience uh, the full range of what goes on in Israel because it's very rich uh, and very, I really agree with you. I mean, I think that Israel has its issues and challenges and I don't want to belittle them. Um, but there's so much good going on. And there's also, with the negatives, there's so many people trying to make everything better. There's such a strong civil society. And then there are spaces like this library that are apolitical spaces where people can come as they are, um, multicultural, where you walk through the reading rooms and you walk around and you immediately feel the full mosaic of Israeli society. How and ironic. And you feel that, that mosaic in the collections mm. as well. And you feel it in the exhibitions. It's, um, it's a beautiful piece of Israel. I agree with you. You know, how ironic, Naomi, that you're right across from the Knesset, right? Yeah. So, fine. <laughs> Visit the Knesset, see the Balagan, yeah. and then make sure you go across the street to yeah. the library. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much the complete view of Israel, I mean, right. to a certain extent. Right. And <laughs> the Knesset members are going to be hanging out because we're going to have a fantastic <laughs> restaurant. We're already starting to think, like... Who's going to be in charge of the restaurant? Oh, well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe they will, you know, if I'm dreaming now, maybe they'll be more refined thanks to uh, the new library. How did you get involved with this? Um, I got involved. Well, I always knew about the National Library, even though it was called the Jewish National and University Library. For short, it was always known as the National Library. So I knew about it for a long time. As I mentioned, my husband's an academic, so he would say, I'm going to the National Library. And I was always like, had a little question, like, I didn't know Israel has a National Library. And in fact, we didn't then. Right. Then he would say and that. When but did you then move to Israel? I moved to Israel from, I'm from New York originally. I grew up on the Upper West Side. Um, and I moved to Israel in 1983. Why? 36 years ago. Adventure. 
uh, interest. It was very much a part of my upbringing. I grew up in a very, I grew up in an Orthodox affiliated home. I went to a Jewish day school, Jewish camps. It was, it was, you know, sort of a no brainer kind of thing in the sense of, of course, Israel. Did you go like but with the I intent of trying think, it out? I no, I didn't think I was growing up and as a high school student I wasn't involved in youth movements. Um, in college I I didn't think I was going What'd you to study move in to college? Israel. I studied psychology and art history. Where? At Barnard. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh so I I didn't plan on moving to Israel and then just things happened, and uh, and you moved, and then what's and it like when I you moved, moved to Israel? Where did you go? I never looked back. Mm. I mean, I look back. I'm very close to my family. My family's great, and I'm the only one there. I have some cousins, but my siblings and etc. are all. What was it like in the beginning? Uh, it's a long time ago. Uh, I got lucky. I got a job quickly. And I got a job in a small operation called DST, Direct Satellite TVRO, with someone named Aver Zussman, who was committed to bringing cable television to Israel. And we were part of the group that helped bring cable television to Israel. But even before that, we provided—this is like going back, right? 80s, early 80s. So we provided um, movie and news services to hotels. Mm. And uh, what well, I did a range of things wow. there. Anyway, I, I'm not going to bore you with my sort of professional history. But the library, the person who's in in my position or a version of what I'm doing now, she was leaving and moving back to New York. And she contacted me. She knew me. We had worked together like 10 years before. And she said, I think you should look at this. And I thought, well, I love libraries, but I didn't quite see myself at a library. She said, this is this is a really big deal. And I started reading about it. And I started understanding this is a library, but this is a cultural institution. This is a work in progress. This is a work in process. What an amazing thing to be part of this adventure, to be part of this journey Which of year was that? building the new National Library of Israel. Hmm. That was in uh, early, I started working there in February 2016. So hmm. exactly three years ago. Wow. So you're right on the Yeah. Yeah. And it still feels cusp. new. Every day is new. I'm telling you, it's like there's some new exciting item that's come in. There's an incredible new cultural event that's starting. There's a lecture that you can go and hear. There's um, we just signed a deal with Google Books for the digitization of a million books. You asked about Startup right. Nation. Right. Uh, new pages being digitized in our Jewish Historic Press project, which is our most probably our most popular digital site is what's called J-Press, where you can go in. You know, I don't mean to keep bringing up Morocco, but my niece is writing keep a... Keep bringing it up. Keep, <laughs> my niece is writing a novel about a, a Moroccan... A, Moroc a young Moroccan woman's story. And she wrote me an email last week. Her name is Erica Schachter-Schwartz. And she said, I have been using J-Press for background information that I need for my research about this time. I cannot believe this resource. 
So, you know, it's that's not really not just scholars. It's not that she's not a scholar. What I mean is that anyone can explore anything. JPress.com? It's uh, J Press. You go to the National Library okay. of Israel site. You just put in J Press and you'll put get it. Put in J there. Press and uh, put in J Press, Jewish Historic Press. It's amazing. Yeah, that's uh, so. You came in at the perfect time for this. I feel very privileged. I really do. Yeah. I, I feel, I feel like I'm part of this really important historic initiative. Now, uh, does the government provide some of your funding? Yeah, we get 50% of our budget mm -hmm. from the government. We're not owned by the government. We're not, a, we're not a government institution. We're a separate institution. We separated from Hebrew University in 2008. Uh, but the government, we do a lot of projects with the government. In fact, that Shiri app, the Hebrew mm -hmm. music app that I mentioned, was together with the Ministry of Culture. We work with the Ministry of Education. Um, the Ministry of Education appointed us their national training center for the humanities because they really appreciated our pedagogical approach to research based on our primary sources. So we train teachers, thousands of teachers now, in how to use primary sources to enhance their, their curriculum. You know, the Shalom Hartman Institute has been trying to do a lot of that, working with curriculums in high schools and everything. Do you have any connection with them? Um, we don't have a, I love the Hartman Institute. Mm -hmm. uh, my kids went to Hartman, and I, uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of what they do. Uh, we don't have that much collaboration with them. We have to figure out uh, some partnerships. I mean, people, the, the Hartman Fellows who work there, you know, they come and they sit at the National Library as well. So I'm not saying there's no relationship, but from as far as I know, no no formal Yeah, because they have like innovative thought. It seems it would Super be Super like innovative a, thought. Exactly. Super wonderful yeah. innovative thought. Like yeah. it be a, a good shidduch. So what's next on your agenda? Um, are you in charge of like raising the other 50%? You well, it's the, the budget is 50% from the government. This is our operating budget. I'm not talking about the building right now, which is, which is actually paid for. Um, the Rothschild family, Yad Hanadiv, mm. has been very instrumental in uh, helping to make the National Library of Israel happen. In fact, Lord Jacob Rothschild, we, we spoke about, um, well, he calls it the third temple. <laughs> wow. No, no politics intended. Uh, he. Well, books the, are sacred. He helped to build the Knesset, mm. the Supreme Court, and now the National Library of Israel. So he calls it the third temple, and we're, we're, you know, we feel very lucky to have them be such important benefactors. So the building is paid for by, by Rothschild and by a wonderful family in New York, the Gottesman fam family, Sandy and Ruth Gottesman, uh, together with Yadha Nadiv and some matching from the government, have paid for the building. So we're in a very luxurious situation in the sense that the construction is paid for, but we're still doing capital campaign for the building with naming of spaces, um, the synagogue, the visitor center, the education center, et cetera. Many of, some of them are named already uh, in, well, I won't go there. You have but a synagogue inside? Yes, we have a synagogue, and there, there is also going to be a un universal prayer room mm -hmm. next to the synagogue. 
because, as I said, it's the National Library of Israel. So there are Arabs who go there to pray. There are Christians who will go there to pray. So um, I have to ask, Naomi, is there going to be a mechitza in the synagogue? Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? We're going to have meetings. Yeah, I think the synagogue will, will serve the purpose for uh, for whatever group is there at that time. Yeah, Mechitza between two and four. But there are daily minions that are that are there now okay. in in a kind of sh- in a small room in the library. They are going to have it much Makeshift. nicer. Because yeah. you know this is Israel. Eventually, there's going to be an argument about something. About about uh, so you're about, bracing yourself about the shul. Yeah, yeah. It's actually very cool in the reading rooms. There's uh, mincha in the middle of the day is at, I believe it's 1.30 or so. I am embarrassed to say I don't go regularly. Uh, and you'll see in the reading rooms, without anybody connecting, all of a sudden, a group of people will get up at the same time and walk out to go to Mincha. Not everyone. Not everyone there is davening Mincha. But uh, it's actually it's actually a nice thing. Yeah, th- these things happen in Israel. It's yeah. like, you know, uh, when sundown in Tel Aviv and you're right in the heart of the section where everybody's in nightclubs and cafes and everything, and somehow lots of people just sort of go away for a couple of hours to do Shabbat, and then they come back right. with a vengeance well, into the n- night. Well, there's it- no question that Arab Shabbat in Israel. I mean, you asked about my move to Israel and why. You know, a lot of reasons. As I said, it was part of me, but it was also a sense of adventure. Uh, Gary Wexler tells me you have one of the best Shabbat tables <laughs> in Jerusalem. Don't believe everything <laughs> Gary says, but uh, yeah, we like to have a lot of people on uh, on Shabbat on Friday night, and Gary is always when he's in town. It's always great to have him, and I hope when you're in town, you'll come oh. and hang out. But Only if you uh, serve Moroccan want... fish. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so you're happy you moved to Israel, it looks like. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And, and you know, it doesn't mean I don't miss my family. Right. But Your you kids know, are happy special... they were born in Israel? Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. It, yeah. They, uh, very much. My oldest, my son Danny, he lived in New York for seven years recently, and he came back a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. He stayed about five years longer than he intended. Mm-hmm. But uh, he, he never... Is back? Very. I mean, it yeah. was always his... He met a woman, and they got married. But from when it started to get serious, he said, you know, I'm not, I don't live here. I'm moving <laughs> back to Israel. So, But I did want to say about Shabbat and Israel and what you were saying about all the challenges. I think that magic that you spoke of on Erev Shabbat is something very special. It's very it, special. It, it blows me and away in, every time And when I'm I think Jerusalem, I think it's um, and, and it's these are people who are not religious. Time. Yeah. These yeah. are not you know, typically like Orthodox at all. These are just party goers in Tel Aviv, and you get a sense that so many of them just go and they do their version of Shabbat, and then they come back out. It's right. The, I don't know that there's any other cities where that happens. Right. Maybe because you just feel you're walking your Judaism in that in that country. Right. Right. Um, I hope everyone will come and visit. 
We're not in the gorgeous, gorgeous new building yet, but we're in a really nice building. And I have to say the Givat Ram campus is a beautiful campus. Well, now that and you're on people, this podcast, everybody's going right, to come. Right, no, everyone has to listen and come. Yeah. And, you know, you started off. Now, can they off, come right now? Right now. Okay, cool. Before, right now. So we you, give free tours every week on Thursday. Of the Thursday. new building? No, we give free tours of the, in our right building okay. with the history. And you go up to our map room. Our people die over I our gotcha. map room. We have the largest collection of ancient maps of the Holy Land in the world. And I'm sure you have a model of the new buildings. We have a model. Okay. We have videos. We have uh, people love going to the Gershom Shalom reading room, mm. which is, um, you know, Gershom Kabbalah. So it's the right. largest collection of Kabbalah and Hasidut in the world. Well, if Madonna's listening. Right. Right. Definitely. Well, you know what? Put on your list. You know what? You feel it. You feel it when you walk really? into that room. It's actually where I sit when I have to read something. Yeah, you have ultra orthodox. You have secular scholars. Well, I want to go to that room. And you have uh, you have new age types there who are all sitting together in this room using this vast collection of uh, that you know Gershom Shalom gave the library's collection. He worked at the library. He was a librarian, among other things. And, uh, oh, to see his books. Do you know this guy? I mean, talk about obsessive-compulsive and obsessive-compulsive. His notes, His when he had a book and he was working on it, he would have it rebound and put a blank sheet of paper in between each written page for taking his notes. So we have these incredible and he editions. Kept it all. And he kept it all, and we have it. And you can see Gershom Shalom's notes in this crazy book, books that are well, like rebound for this scholar. I mean, he really brought the study of Kabbalah to an academic level. He is the person credited with doing that. There are a lot of very cool legendary figures in the Chronicles of the Library, and you grow to love them. Is this your first trip to America to talk about the library I'm, no it's, your first but it's one my, in LA it's my first it's not only my first in LA it's the library's first in LA okay we have not been here before and I'm super happy to be here and had some meaningful meetings with Jewish leadership we're raising awareness you started off this discussion with what I had forgotten I had said on Sunday at a at an event that my wonderful friends Jackie Heller and Gabi Kahana hosted uh, a brunch in honor of the library. And uh, I said it was Israel's best kept secret to people because they don't know about it yet. And so now those of you who are hearing this, you know about it. So come and visit. And uh, more and more people are finding out. Also through social media. You know, you spoke about Startup Nation. Our, our blogs, our, our social media is gaining many, many thousands of followers in our English language materials as well. Well, let's hope that the offline will get him. I'm sorry. Let's hope that the online will get him to the offline. Because right. at the end of the day, it's the touch and the texture and the feeling that you're going to be able to provide right. when people show up in person. Right. So right. I will see you in the Kabbalah room. Okay. The library. Okay. And Naomi Schachter, thank you so much for coming in. David Suisa, thank you. <laughs> for having me. <laughs> Once again, we'd like to thank our new sponsor, Venture Leather. Don't forget to go to VentureLeather.com and use code DAVID for 15% off on your order and start making a difference today. <laughs>